0: Thank you, thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Jean. Quietly pushing buttons and making this happen. And thank you, Yaro, because I was having wondering how I would read. Uh-oh. Thank you. I'm used to all these techno things these days. Usually, I'm all wired up to stuff. Oh, so good to be here! You know, um, we came a little bit early through the traffic and um, met on the dark, rainy porch with Ilana. Is that right, Ilana or Ilana? Oh, Oh, welcome! And it was just so beautiful to have someone here for the first time. Mm -hmm. And, um, a guest back, so welcoming each other and being welcomed by this sangha. It's good to have you here. Yeah, no one else is new, right? I would not know, yeah. but <laughs> I don't think so. I think they're all the regulars. Good, good. Thanks for coming out on this rainy night. I'm surprised we didn't stand out in the rain to soak it up from the desert that we came from. So, um, I want to start, especially being back here, by giving thanks to our teachers and my teacher, our common teachers, Suzuki, Roshi, and Catherine, and my personal teacher, Jean. And I did just what you said. I just popped out in the middle of sewing an okesa, And, you know, we've just been steady and I appreciate your steady support. And if you um, wanna start up a resident program, maybe we'll come back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I'll start with what I'm gonna talk about tonight. When should I stop, Patrick? About 7? About 7.25. Okay and then we'll have, that would be wonderful. Um, We've just come from our fall practice period at Ipaya, and we've been studying the Sandokai, which I know some of you love, and the Song of the Grassroot Hermitage, or I like to call it the Song of the Grass Hut. Um, Such beautiful teachings. And so we've just been immersed in these and I'm not really gonna take up as I couldn't in a half hour, the teaching so much as some things that have just really stayed as beautiful open questions for me from studying those poems of eighth century Chinese poet. Hi, Hi, welcome. Take just a minute to be settled. We have two guests arriving, so I'll pause just a bit. This is my old age dilemma. Well, the glasses don't work, and 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 then. then even though I have this big font. But anyway, I will fumble with my notes. I think this is fine. Thank you, though. I think we're good. Um, so Shi 8th century, Sandokai, or the merging of difference and unity, which I know you chant and chant. Um, you know, one of the things in looking at these together, it seems like what we got in the Sandokai is this, you know, beautiful kind of poetic exploration of what the merging of unity and difference or the absolute and the relative, what what that might be about and kind of finding our way into that. And then with the song of the Grass Hut, it's that teaching embodied to me, it's that teaching lit in a lived way, Um, sort of the sense of ease of that union, the simplicity of that merging, that bringing the absolute up in the simplest of our everyday activity. And, um, you know, awakeness to the universality and the simplicity of the moment and of the grass hut and i thought because i'm not going to be talking so much about the song of the grass hut but it's so short and beautiful and just to kind of bring that into the room i'll read it and then um go on to kind of explore what question came alive for me uh, in this poem. So um, first I will read this, which uh, is a translation by Cause and Dan Layton of this teaching. Can I pass something around? So... We probably had 40 people maybe in this practice period that were on site and then we had people online. And Chuck made 40 grass hut bookmarks to give people. (laughs) Oh yeah. Anyway, it was so beautiful. So here we go. I've built a grass hut where there's nothing of value after eating I relax and take a nap. When it was completed, fresh weeds appeared. Now it's been lived in, covered by weeds. The person in the hut lives here calmly, not stuck to inside, outside, or in between. Places worldly people live, he doesn't live. Realms worldly people love, he doesn't love. Though the hut is small, It includes the entire world. In 10 feet square, an old man illumines forms and their nature. A great vehicle Bodhisattva trusts without doubt. The middling or lowly can't help wondering, will this hut perish or not? Perishable or not, the original master is present. Not dwelling south or north, east or west, firmly based on steadiness, it can't be surpassed. A shining window below the green pines, jade palaces or vermilion towers, can't compare with it. Just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. Thus this mountain monk doesn't understand at all. Living here, he no longer works to get free. Who would proudly arrange seats trying to entice guests? Turn around the light to shine within, then just return. The vast inconceivable source can't be faced or turned away from. Meet the ancestral teachers, be familiar with their instruction, bind grasses to build a hut and don't give up. Let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. Open your hands and walk innocent. Thousands of words, myriad interpretations are only to free you from obstructions. If you want to know the undying person in the hut, don't separate from this skin bag here and now. There's a beautiful book, and I'm sure a lot of you know it, um, Interpretation of this poem by Ben Connolly, who's a personal hero of mine. He, his dharma is just what I've learned here, actually, and Catherine's and Jean's in terms of what does this mean for our lives? You know, that's how he approaches this poem. And um, the verses I want to take up, and one in particular, though the hut is small, it includes the entire world. In 10 feet square, an old man illuminance forms and their nature. A great vehicle bodhisattva trusts without doubt. The middling or lowly can't help wondering, will this hut perish or not? So what I've been exploring is this question of trust. A great vehicle bodhisattva trusts without doubt. And so what does a great vehicle bodhisattva trust? In the Dharma, trust in Zazen, trust in the path, which led me to ask. What do I trust? And this comes up for me, especially around the teachings of um, not knowing, bearing witness and action, this compassionate action that arises. And then I think, how how do I trust that action? Um, what do I have faith in? And what do we have faith in that keeps us coming back to the zendo? do this thing that we do um so it's interesting when i have a question like that that has energy this is usually where i turn for a dharma talk and i think it's a little bit risky because it's a question and i have no it's not like a telling it's a question um so we'll take a look at my question and hopefully yours as well. Um, so uh, popping a little bit back into our fall practice period, Kathy Fisher was teaching with us. She usually comes to Upaya for uh, fall practice period. And some of you know her, some of you don't. She was her whole career, a middle school science teacher. So hats off to her, <laughs> but um, every day in her talk or some, somehow, sometime during the day, she brings in some facts, some science. She'll say, when you get up tomorrow morning, you'll look for Venus over here and look for, and this is what's happening with the moon or other things she brings in um, from the natural world because that's her love. And um, she shared some really beautiful words about trust. So um, she showed us the back of her rakasu. She was ordained by Mel, I think. Um, And the back of her rakasu says, when a fish enters a flowing stream, everything is provided. When a fish enters a flowing stream, everything is provided and this this essence of ease and trust is woven throughout this poem of the Grass Hut. And um, she also talked about a school of fish and how they move, you know, you can just picture how they move together and one turns in this flashing of them all moving together. So how can we humans enter the flowing stream where everything's provided? And Kathy continued saying, in fact, we already have, when we're sitting Zazen, we already have because there's nothing to manage. We can try, (laughs) but usually unsuccessful, and, and all we can do is trust, actually, without doubt. And she said, we're simply alive in this moment, that's it. It's just that we keep looking away, thinking there must be something bigger. So we have this yearning that that has us looking in lots of the wrong directions. I think we yearn for connection and we yearn for meaning and wholeness. And we think it's anywhere but here, you know, this one or this situation. And so we look elsewhere. And the other thing that stayed with me is this image of a school of fish and trust. And I thought I could, it was like a cartoon. of the one fish that like is freaking out and not doubting. And so can you imagine like the rest of the hundreds in the school are all bumping into each other. So just these images of um, trust and a fish swimming like a fish and we'll pop in the dog in a little bit later, you know, and a bird flies like a bird. But we humans have a little more difficulty. It's like in the natural world, creatures are following their original instructions and um, we kind of have to relearn in a way. So what do you trust about sitting Zazen? What do we do? What allows us to settle into this experience where we keep letting go of our stories and our interpretations and our kind of uh, fixed ideas of how the world is that feels quite safe naturally and letting go of our expectations of what's gonna happen in Zazen and results that we're gonna get. And one of the things for me, especially in session, but often in Zazen that becomes clear is what I can't trust, which is the movement of my wild mind. That's like, why isn't this happening? And what about this person? And just worrying about uh, wanting things to turn out my way, basically. So what what do we trust? And I think we trust what we keep coming back to somehow, which is just right here, just this right here. And the trust that we develop is what also helps us keep letting go. So I have two messages from Catherine. Here's the first one that has to do with this faith or trust allowing us to let go. She said, we sit Zazen to realize that there's a deeper awareness existing beneath the active mind. It's the mind of clear observation that witnesses our life from the shore of ease from a posture of unprejudiced attention. So during Zazen, this shore of ease is letting go of our strategies, our schemes, I've got lots of schemes, our interpretations and just coming back again and again So I want to share this really short Dogen poem that I came across um, because for one thing, he references a koan that I'm going to bring up in a few minutes, but it's also about trust and ease and Zazen. And it's a Chinese poem, number 16 maybe. And it says, it's called given to a Zen person. about sitting Zazen, clouds disappearing in the blue sky, a crane's mind at ease, waves constant on the ancient shore, a fish swims slowly. Who can focus their eyes on this vague edge from the hundred foot pole, take another step. And this poem is also related to uh, uh, the Zazen Shin fascicle in the Shobogenzo, where uh, Dogen says, the water is clear to the earth. A fish is swimming like a fish. The sky is vast and extends to the heavens. A bird is flying like a bird. So all these references to Zazen of this natural ease, this natural trust, entering the flowing stream. And also that in this fish swimming like a fish and flying, there's no goal, no purpose, no task. So the crane's mind is at ease and the fish swims slowly. slowly. And this sense of ease is completely echoed in the Song of the Grass Roof Hermitage hermitage, when he says, a great vehicle Bodhisattva trusts without doubt. In this commentary of Ben Connolly that I referred to, he describes trust in this beautiful way that connects it to ease, to a sense of ease. He says a condition of consciousness that's completely at ease. This is how he describes trust. It's about the absence of anxiety. It's about being at rest. And I really love this sense that trust is about being at ease with whatever arises, finding ease again and again with whatever arises with nothing to defend and um, no sense of me and mine to protect. So coming back to this question, you know, having a good feeling, a sense of the feeling of ease, but actually how do we cultivate that? And what do I trust? So, I came to a few things af- asking myself this question. And this is after years of practice, I have to say. Because one of the things that I think about practice is that it has brought me to a trust that I can meet my life. That whatever the circumstances of my life I can meet and I can trust myself to that. Um just to life, arising as life. And I trust that in that I can let go of my strategies, knowing that they don't work anyway helps. If I thought that they would work, I probably wouldn't let go of them, but knowing that they don't work, I can let go of them. And my strategies to control and just, as Catherine says, love the world as it is. And I have a deep trust in cause and effect, even though I can't, it's not evident. It's not usually evident, sometimes it is, but it's so, you know, the workings of of cause and, and effect are so complex that I can't necessarily predict, but still I trust cause and effect in that I turn toward actions that are life-sustaining. And I have trust that our actions matter because of that. And there's another piece because fish swim like fish but being a human I have to kind of keep turning toward and trying to remember and understand my original instructions. And to do that, I have to let go of hundreds of years in order to relax completely. I had this image when I was thinking about this, it's an oldie, you know, like you got a monkey that puts his fist, her fist my fist in a jar. And then I get stuck. Because I'm not going to let go. (laughs) I'm not going to let go what I got, which is like my self-righteousness, or my understanding that I think I have, or, you know, all the things that I want to cling to. So I can't open my hand and get get out of that jar. Um, so part of the, you know, as humans relearning our original instructions is because I know my vision is limited and colored by my karma. So I have to sit and uh, study the self to forget the self and kind of look in all the dark corners um ben Connolly says something very interesting about that that part of what we do is have to be willing to shine the light in those corners um so that i can trust that my actions aren't as driven by by those shadows that i think are reality He says, this is actually the beginning of a bodhisattva's trust to have enough confidence to turn the light inward and look at the fear itself. Rather than the shadow it's casting that we think is reality. I also think a bodhisattva's trust is supported by a certain view what I would call the kind of Buddhist view that has to include interdependence and inner penetration. And uh, the understanding that suffering is part of our existence and also our commitment to ease that suffering and this understanding that our perception of reality is limited and that things aren't what we think they are. So all of that. So great, but what about, you know, trusting things as they are, loving the world as it is, when our loved one is sick, when our kids are threatened, when there are not only this incredible suffering of this war that erupted in Gaza, but dozens of other wars. So, you know, this question of ours, we turn toward things as it is, We love the world as it is. We see a perfection, and yet there's all this suffering. So there's a kind of a trust that's not about a belief that we'll get things our way or that we're trusting that everything's gonna be okay in the way that we think of that. And I think it's, a, it's kind of a whole different way of looking at trust actually, because I'm not trusting that my loved ones aren't gonna die because I know that they are. And I'm not trusting that there's not gonna be suffering because I know that there is. And in fact, we know that things won't go our way. So here's my second um, remembrance of Kathleen. She said, simply going with conditions, simply going with conditions, allows our mind to remain calm and ready for whatever happens next. A willingness to trust and go with the moment, not because it's comfortable, but because it's here. And that was one of the most foundational teachings that she brought us. And it's important that we understand that we pretty much in our view and that's kind of this narrow view, don't know what's going on most of the time. So it's pretty appropriate actually to relax our grip on thinking that we do and to have some kind of nimbleness to respond to what's here. And that's letting go and relaxing, not ignoring causes and effect, but attending to what's here. I was trying to think of an example to share from my life. And what came to me was, sitting face to face with people in practice interview or doka song, because if I think I know something, it's not helpful. And if I think that person uh, is helpless, that's even less helpful. So there's this kind of relaxing into relationship. And I think we do this in many situations can't predict it, I don't know what's needed here, but if I listen and attend and am present with the person in front of me, then something arises there that's fresh and um, true. But I just have to trust in that we can meet each other in, in, in an open-hearted way and see what unfolds. And I think that's true in a lot of situations. This always happens to me. That's why I ask how much I have. (laughs) I just have too much that I wanna say. So um, let me take a look here for just a second about what I wanna do. There's two things I want to do. So here's the first one. I do want to bring back this koan of stepping off the 100-foot pole because um, it's a very classic teaching and it has a traditional interpretation. But when I think of it, where I go is to the like feeling tone there. What's the felt sense actually if we talk about... It's like a trust fall to me if we talk about stepping off the 100-foot pole. And traditionally, um, the classic interpretation is that you're taught at the top of the pole, you think you're enlightened and you're just gonna hang out there. And stepping off the 100-foot pole is letting go of what you think you know and walking back into the mucky world of the Bodhisattva. And um, how this relates to trust for me is you not only letting go, I'm not thinking I'm, I don't think I'm 75. I don't have much time to become enlightened, but just letting go of everything that I hold on to, you know, letting go of all the things that I think are keeping me safe. That is the kind of the trust fall, not trying to hold on to anything, but just coming back to what's here. And this is a big Ipaya teaching that I've really been saturated in. That's become really foundational for me too is, and this is from Bernie Glassman, not knowing. It's also from Suzuki Roshi, bearing witness compassionate action. And that's all about opening the hand and letting go of hundreds of years and stepping forward. Um, One of the things when we think about trust in your relationship for trust, to trusting the Dharma, to trust is just, um, sometimes it seems so huge and I think one of the helpful things is that we can start with just this little spark, this little spark of bodhicitta. And then we, we kind of like, <laughs> we keep going a little bit, but something is aroused in us, this kind of eager faith and we turn in a certain direction and then kind of this is my experience I, and i still i just lose it you know like what 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 are we even doing right uh, maybe i i lose it and i might i don't there and then there's a doubt in in the middle of that faith and one of the things that i think is really powerful is this we make vows and even when i really and don't have a sense of trust and and faith i'm facing in the direction of the buddha and i just live according to vow i just do that wholesome thing because that's what i've that's what my vow is and maybe the sense of trust of the the beautiful dharma isn't there but then you do that thing and and then you're acting from that vow and then it's pretty good, and then the faith kind of comes back. That's my, my experience. Part of part of my experience when I'm really like, kind of lost. I still, you know, we still keep going. And then there's a, more of a confident faith. Okay, my life is actually more manageable at seventy-five than it was earlier. And then um, there's. If, Another part of these uh, teachings of stages of, of faith is irreversible faith. When no matter what, even if you want to stop, you can't. You just you just keep going. It's like this faith in the Dharma. There's the point of no return, and no matter what, you just keep turning toward the Buddha and and your vows. So. Okay, fast version. I have to tell this one little story. I still have three minutes. Um, It's a story I heard years ago, but it's about. I want to bring it back to this Bodhisattva's trust, and I think it's from the Jataka tales. And I heard it recently, um, Roshi Joan Halifax at UPAY retold this story, and I went, "Love this story." It's a story about a little parrot. Does anyone, Jean, who knows this story? No? Okay, Jean does. Is it from the Jataka tales? Okay, it's a tale like the early pre-Buddha tales. There's a little parrot. And this parrot lives in a beautiful, rich, full of life forest with all the other beings beautiful, full of beings, trees, everything, just a Buddha field. And there's a lightning strike and the forest just bursts into flame and the animals are frenzied and they can't escape. And there's this huge conflagration, this huge fire. And here's this little parrot just freaked out and broken hearted, looking down on the scene of this huge fire. And the parrot flies to a, a, a water source that she finds just away a little ways away, dips her feathers in and flies back three drops, goes back, dips in the water, three drops. And this little parrot just keeps going and keeps going with three drops and three drops to put out the fire. And in this story, there's a celestial being who's so moved by this parrot's activity that she makes a huge rainstorm. Put out the the fire. But this parrot wasn't counting on anything. That's, for me, the point of this. This parrot was just acting without doubt, just trusting that she needed to do what she could. And for us, with what we face in this world, we, we, we can't wait. We can't count on if I do this, then something else is gonna happen. We just have to look at our ingredients and the place where we are and with what we have and what we know and just bring our three drops. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Do you have time for a couple of questions? I've got all the time in the world. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Honestly, I can't, I just can't express when I walked in and smelled this. just, yeah. So we've got about five minutes and we can take maybe two very short questions. Okay. Uh, uh, five word question and two word answer. Okay, I'm good. Uh, Hi. Hi. We um, have chanted. I, I chanted a number of times the grass hermitage, which oh. is wonderful. And each time, the last line of it, you know this this whole beautiful. Time you said, and then the last line of it always kind of catches me. And I've been thinking about that for weeks anyway. um Because it, you know, it seems, well, I'm wondering what it's actually saying, but it seems to be saying all this stuff, all this stuff, all this stuff, and just don't separate from your skin back. And I'm going, does that mean? Stay in touch with your body, don't trip out. And, and I just wondered if you could say five words about that last one. I, I only get two, <laughs> I only get two words, and I would love to say something about it because to me it's integral to this um, whole teaching. And I think the way you described it is really very close to my understanding. Okay. If you want to know the undying person, <clears throat> don't go someplace else. Don't separate, it's just this. That's and what I when think. When they say skin you know, I just wondered if it meant even more than that, like mm-hmm. really get into your body or if, would we take it that way, I think? Yeah. Yeah, I don't see that as separate because that's that's this, right? This, this, yeah. Thank you. Well, no, thank you and thank you, everyone online, my friends. Uh, it's good to see you and see your names. Some of you I can see, and some of you <laughs> can just see. It. But thank you. Beans are endless. I am to save them. Delusions are hostile, I am to them. Dharma of the gates are boundless, I am bound to defend. I vow to be covered. <coughs> Beings are blessed. I vow to free them. Dilutions are impossible. I vow to prevent them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to prevent them. Without the way it's uncircumseful, I may bow to become it. Beings so are hard. I may bow to take them. Delusions are inexorable. I to end them. Dark of the gates are downless. I am to enter. The heavens wait at your castle. I am to become <laughs>